Ah, your mother's picture isn't there. Uh, she'll be there. All right, so um, Parshas Bamidbar, we're getting ready for Shavuos. Um, obviously, any Torah learning and any good ideas, any uh. things that we can think about are here. Uh-huh. <laughs> are here to uh, we we need to drum up as much merit as we can for uh, our brothers and sisters in our Yisrael. It's uh, really, uh, certainly in my lifetime, I never remember things being this bad in Israel. Um, so uh, they really, you know, God willing, uh, I mean, God, God wills it. Uh, we, we, we should have uh, salvation ASAP, everyone, and there should be peace in the whole world. Amen. Okay. Amen. So I think this is actually a nice segue. This week's Parsha is really about the valuing of the of the individual how important each and every human being is and this is brought out over and over and over again there's not really much else in the parsha so let's start with one piece it says in chapter 3 verse 1 rashi quotes the famous piece from the talmud it says what does it say it says that these are the offspring of Moshe and Aaron. And then it only lists our own sons. Mm. So the Talmud asks, the Talmud asks, if you're saying these are the offspring of Moshe and Aaron, so list Moshe and Aaron's kids. And the Talmud says, because this is talking about spiritual offspring. And Aaron's sons were Moshe's students. It seems, you know, that Moshe's sons, you know, I'm sure he loved them, they loved him, but the teacher-student relationship was was more he had with his nephews. And the Sefer Chavetz Chaim says that you see from here that that the same degree that a person has a unbreakable connection to someone who they biologically are, are connected to, it's the same applies to spiritual things. And this has many ramifications. The, uh, the Chavetz Chaim says that we all know that if someone does not have clothes or someone doesn't have a roof over their head, everyone, you know, it's basic uh, human uh, instinct that everyone, that you need to help them out. And the Chavetz Chaim says, you see from here, the same thing applies if someone doesn't have spiritual clothes or a spiritual roof over their head that uh, it, it's, it's a tremendous mitzvah to, uh, to share, that, <clears throat> share that spirituality with, um, with someone who doesn't have it. Now, we're not talking about being proselytizing or overbearing, but you see that if you have something to share, uh, then share it. Now, obviously, it takes two to tango with sharing. If there's no one interested, then, you know, obviously it's not the time and place. But my experience has been uh, much more often than not. I would say almost very high percentage, probably even in the high, in the high 90s, of when I've sincerely tried to share some of my Judaism with in an appropriate way that people haven't, at the very least, even if they didn't work, didn't accept it, but they appreciated the offer. I just a few weeks ago uh, had a neighbor. I've been living in my house now for over four years, actually exactly four years. Uh, I think we moved in after Pesach. 
uh, about four years ago. And I, I noticed this guy sitting on the porch. I never noticed him before. And he had that Jewish look. And uh, it was Shabbos afternoon. And I, uh, I just walked down the, the, the 50 feet. And I said, hello. You know, I said, I've been living here for four years. We've never seen each other. And he told me he's a Spartan Jew. He's telling me all about his. And he, we talked for like a little about an hour. And he told me how much he appreciated the fact that I just came over and that uh, I'm just, uh, you know, uh, sharing. Uh, I didn't even do anything. <laughs> I actually didn't share anything. I was just, uh, I just introduced myself. Um, but he, uh, but I, most of the time, if you're sincere about something, even if someone doesn't want it, they appreciate uh, the sincerity. And uh, that's something that we learn from the fact that, that the, the Torah calls someone who you give something to spiritually, uh, your offspring. Now, as Mr. Shapiro mentioned before we started, this week's Parsha counts the Jews. Not only does it counts the Jews, it counts the tribes. It tells you how they camped. It tells you how they traveled, who sat next to who, who led. Myriads and myriads of seemingly useless details that will never be used again in history. And everybody discusses this in some way or another. What is the point? What is the point of all this information? We're never going to use it again. And so I want to focus on a few of those details. So one detail is, but at, see, the way that formation was, they, were, they, they, they traveled in a square, a square formation. And they had three tribes on each square. There was 12 tribes, so three, three on each side of the square. There was a, a leader of each side, and that's how it was. And each tribe had a flag, and each side, each side had a flag. So there was one side that was Yehuda, Yisachar, and Zavuun, those three tribes. Now, the way it worked in the Torah is it lists the leader of the side. So in this case, it was Yehuda. And then it used the letter Vav. Vav, the, the word Vav actually in Hebrew means hook. And also, vav in Hebrew is ant, because and hooks worse together. There's a lot of, we could talk about the letter vav for a long time, on uh, mystical ideas there. But what I want to talk about is that there actually is no vav where there should be a vav. Because it should say, the leader was Yehuda. And camp with them was Yisachar and Zavuin. But the, the vavs are mysteriously missing. And everyone asks, where, why is there no ends? And an answer I saw, I forgot who says it. I forgot who says it. But he says that is to show that when you have ends, right? When you have the end means you're taking two things that are separate and you're connecting them. The tribes of Yisachar and the tribes of Zavuan were famously, uh, they are famous, for their eternal spiritual partnership. Yisachar, from Jacob's blessings and Moses' blessings, this is very clear because their blessings actually were statements of, of talent. And Yisachar, basically, they studied Torah all day and they had an equal partnership that Zavulun, their brother, he, 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 uh, he was a good businessman and good in... in uh, in a merchant ships, and they had an equal they had, a, they had an equal partnership. One studied Torah, one supplied the money, 
And the Torah is teaching us with the lack of the letter Vav there that they were so connected. They were, it's, you shouldn't think that it's any, that there was any difference. The person who studied and the person who supported it, they had a perfect partnership. And that's the reality. And that's to teach us that that is the case for people who are, let's say, in the front lines doing the studying, let's say. And so they need to value the people who are supporting them. And the people who are supporting them need to value the people on the front lines. It's a, it's a, it's a, everyone is, is equally as important. And I tell you as a fundraiser, it's a certainly always been something which I always, always put out there. I certainly, when I fundraise for the yeshiva, even, even when I, what I do now. So this just doesn't just apply to money. Supplies, if you're able to help a good cause, you're able to help someone do something. And assists. We all know from basketball and hockey and football and every sport, they don't just keep the stats on the home runs and the slam dunks. They keep track of the assists. If someone set something up uh, in hockey, I believe it's even even more than one step removed. Basketball, it's you know they notice it. I don't know if there's a stat, but for definitely a stat for assists. So that's the way we have to look at. Uh, opportunities that that we really, really, really are a part of it uh, if we don't do it. And uh, we have to value the people on the front lines too, even if they're not suddenly making money. Sometimes there's a tendency to feel, oh, you know, the funders, they, they're they really important. No, everyone is important. Everyone does their role th- and great things happen. Another interesting thing is the Torah makes it very clear. The Torah makes it very clear that the way that Zavula would make all of his money, enough to support double the amount of people, was through ships, through merchants at the sea. And why is that? Why, why, why couldn't it be? They make their money... Uh, on the farms, real estate. There's plenty of ways to make money. Why is it clear from their flag? There even was a ship on their flag. So it wasn't just like, you know, a fluke. You know, at the time, you know, they happened to have ships or they were going to do ships. So the Talmud discusses, it says that most, it's interesting, it's the opposite of a thing what I've heard kind of in like uh, Navy museums. But the Talmud says that most sailors are tzaddikim. Most sailors are very righteous people. And the Talmud explains that the reason why most sailors are very righteous people is because the sea, now today it's not as much because, thank God, we have such incredible ships, but still, the sea is a dangerous place. It used to be it was very dangerous. It was like almost like, when they went on a sea trip, they would they would uh, say goodbye to their families. So the um, so since the sea is a place that's dangerous, and you're also you're so de- east, certainly in the old days, but still today, you're so dependent on God. The old ships, you didn't have wind, you you could lose endless money. You you could be three years behind, and having that. Uh, that fear made people realize they were that they needed to turn to God for help, and it kept them very, very humble. 
And when a person's humble and they realize that their success comes from God and they need God for it, it allows them to be much more generous. And I think they actually showed a study. I'm not saying this applies to anyone here or anyone I know, but the concept is out there that people tend to be more generous, at least with their money, if they have an income that isn't, they're just like a set paycheck employee. Because when you're a set paycheck employee, you get very comfortable and you don't, quote unquote, see the hand of God as much. But if you're in a business that it kind of fluctuates and you may not get paid, you know, it depends what happens, the markets, that um, that elicits a tremendous amount of faith. And that allows, when you realize that what you have comes from God, you're able to be more generous. Because you realize that, uh, you know, God wants you to be generous and there's no point in, uh, in, in, in hoarding it. And this doesn't only apply to money. This applies to talents and time. You know, we may have a talent and we may have time and we may be loath to share that time or energies with other people. But then, you know, God could say, you know what? You know, I gave you the time. I gave you the talents. You know, maybe they're, I'm better off giving that time and talents to someone else. So that's the really the attitude that uh, you see in great people. And as much as we can, we want to try to do that. Now, I, now I'm going to address Mr. Shapiro's question head on. I think I'm going to address it head on. So, and the, the Medrash uh, delineates that Moshe had the exact concern that Mr. Shapiro had. God told Moses, set up the Jews, the flags, the formations, and then when you need to go to the West, the Western side moves, and everyone's got to follow, and this and that. Moses said to God, this is making me very nervous. This is going to end up in fights. Mr. Shapiro, wasn't that your question? Yes. This is going to end up, you're going to, you're having, you know, people going to say, oh, why is that tribe in charge? And why are we going to the east? Just because the, the Judeans want to go there, you know, uh, and there's all kinds of problems. Mr. Shapiro pointed out you have there's divisions and it could be racism and elitism and 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 uh, Moshe was very nervous about these uh, about about you know just having things so choreographed. And Hashem, the Medrash, I think it's the Medrash, um, says a very interesting. Uh, response, which is rather cryptic, which needs an explanation. And God tells Moses, you know what? Don't worry. Jacob figured it out already. So all the commentators say, well, we need Jacob figured it out. Jacob's been gone for a long time. Jacob's been gone for, uh, I don't know, about uh, 170 years or so. So maybe you don't know, sure exactly. A long time. So I saw the commentary say that this is what it means. Right before Yaakov died, one of his requests were that he wants to be buried in Israel. So he said he actually said, and I want my 12 sons to carry me. And I he said he gave the exact formation 
that they were going to have in the desert. And Yaakov did this on purpose. He, he felt that he set his brother next to that brother, and he was teaching them. He said, you know what? You are going to be, this is a very stressful time. Your father's passing away, and you have the pressure of getting my body to Israel. It's, 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 a, it's not a, nerves are high. Stresses are high. And he said, you know what? You guys are going to have to learn how to keep your dignity and keep your, your morals when there's stress. And, and that's part of being human being. Part of being human being is to, to know, to, uh, to be able to, to, part of growing up, part of being adult is that you can't say, oh, you know, it's stressful now. I'm going to punch you in the face. It's stressful now. I'm going to be mean to you. And, and that was something that Yaakov really, really instilled in his children. And Hashem was telling Moshe, you're right, you should be concerned. But this is something that the Jewish people had the, the uh, tremendous privilege that God, uh, that, 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 that their father, their parents instilled it in them. And, and a person grows, actually. A person can grow when there's challenge. You don't have to create all types of challenge. But challenge is good. And if you have the proper tools and the proper training, not always good to run away and make things picture perfect that there won't be um, a problem. Now, I did not completely answer the question because that answers about um, you know some of the formation. It doesn't answer why was it important for there to be a separate space for each person. Why couldn't it just be there were sides? Everyone could live whatever they wanted to live. And why do we have to separate the tribes? That's a very good question. And uh, we'll get there. Um, so another thing in the parsha he talks about is who carried the tabernacle, who carried the different items, the ark, the menorah, the curtains. And it says that the most important item, you know, is the ark, the aron. And the second son of Levi, you would have thought it would have been the older, older one, but the tribe the, not tribe, the uh, family of Kahas was the family that carried the Aram. And it really shouldn't have been that way. Based on, you would have thought it would have been the old, the older one did that. But Medrash says the reason why the, the uh, family of Kahas merited to carry the Aram, the Ark, was because the, the tribe, the family of Kahas, had Moshe and Aaron in it. Now, what was it about Moshe and Aaron that made them the best? It wasn't because they were the smartest. It wasn't because they were the oldest. What made them the best is they worked hard. Aaron was known as the man of peace. No such thing as peace without hard work. Moshe was the man of truth. Moshe was the humblest man to ever live. You cannot be born humble. You can be born maybe with some tendencies, but to be the most humble person to ever live, that does not happen without a lot, a lot of work. And we see from here that, yes, maybe there are 
sections, there's levies, there's coins, there's different roles. But the highest value in Judaism is working hard. Working hard, uh, that's the highest value. I saw a quote from one of the big football coaches. It says that hard work will always overcome talent that's not doing hard work. In other words, you can have someone talented who's not working hard. Eventually, their lack of working hard will catch up to them. And you see this in all areas. You see this with students. You see this in yeshiva. You see it in business. If people who work the hardest, now obviously if you have someone who's so talented working hard, who knows what will happen then. But there's no question if you're having a face-off of talent versus working hard, eventually working hard, working hard always wins. A couple more ideas. This really speaks to the uh, idea of, of, um, of all these details. So imagine you go to a fast food restaurant. Now, what was the genius that McDonald's had in the fast food industry that everyone's been trying to replicate for who knows how many years? Fast food, I actually, I, I read a book on this. <laughs> There's a lot of great books about how the really successful uh, uh, businesses, what they did and what you can learn from them because there's a lot to learn from them. So what's a fast food restaurant? A fast food restaurant is that they have a system. They got a, a perfect system, and that system can be easily replicated, and anyone can run that system. It's a turnkey. That's how you can have a franchise because you don't have to. Um, the, 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 the way you make money is if you, someone, something can be replicated, because you can't replicate people. If my business is based on my personal talent, I'm only going to make, and a lawyer can only make, a, you know, let's say he makes even $1,000 an hour, $1,800 an hour, only 24 hours in the day, right? So the real, the real success um, is when you can make a system that can be replicated by anybody. But the problem is if you have a system that has a glitch in it and, the de- and there's not attention to that detail, then it doesn't work. So, you know, if you have the if, the, if the intake of the orders or whatever it is is off, then you get, you know, people getting the wrong orders, people not getting their, their orders. And, and one of the things that we're supposed to learn from this partial with all the exact details of how they traveled and how they camped is that organization is really the way to be successful. Judaism is replete with organization. You know, how to do this, how to do that, when to do this, how much, when, why, with whom. And sometimes people trivialize that. But actually, by doing that, that, that is how a person is successful. Sometimes people say, if only there was 25 hours in the day, I'd be able to accomplish X. But the truth is, that if a person has their day planned out, they don't really feel that way. Yes, there's more to do, but you feel very, very accomplished. And, uh, and, that, that, and that, that's a, uh, it applies to anything. That's why we have the concept, let's say, of Dafyomi. Just do a page of, page of Talmud a day over a long period of time. It's manageable. It's called uh, smart goals, right? Smart goals, they're, they're, 
perfectly manageable. So the, now it doesn't mean you have to be a neat freak. It doesn't mean you have to be ultra organized to a fault. But it does mean with people in Torah that details really, really, really do matter. When you have those details in shape, amazing things happen. When details aren't paid attention to, some pretty sloppy things happen. So that's, uh, uh, I think there's a, there's a slogan, don't agonize, organize, right? Okay, a couple more ideas. So we, we, what's the magic number? We count all the Jews. 603,550. Again, another detail. Big detail here. So there was a story. A man passed away, and he left in his will for his children that a certain town and a particular street in a certain spot there is $10 million buried in the ground. All the children start, they find the spot and they dig and they dig and they dig and they dig and they keep coming up with nothing. Eventually they find a few hundred dollars and some of the sons want to give up. One son keeps digging and digging and digging and digging. That's what happens. Finds the 10 million eventually. Says, he said this in Ethics of the Fathers, Dig and dig and dig in the Torah. Everything is there. There's something for everyone in the Torah. They say there's 600,550 Jewish souls. There's 603,550 letters in the Torah. And we know, famous thing, if you're missing one letter in the Torah, guess what? You can't read from it. It's not a kosher Torah. The, every single person has their role, and it's equally as important. They're different roles, but they're equally as important. And sometimes you don't find it right away. It could take a long time. A person could 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 work their whole life, and not you, know, you got to keep putting one foot in front of the next. But it's but um, uh, it's there. If a person works hard and is sincere and uses advice, and uses wisdom. You know, obviously, if you have the guy who's supposed to dig for something that's a thousand foot deep, and he uses a little kid's uh, plastic shovel, not going to get it. Well, because you got to use, you got to use what God gives you at your disposal. You know, if, if uh, God gave you a bulldozer, a, a, a bulldozer, and you don't use it, okay. So, uh, you know, yes, there is a way to do it. And that's how we have a head. We 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 can we, we are expected to use our intelligence to 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 see to to take advantage of the gifts we have. Okay, maybe I'll share with you two more short ideas. So, there was once someone who had a guest for Shabbos, and the guest told the host that I have eighteen brothers and sisters. Not so uncommon in Bar Park and in uh, Maya Sharon, but so the host asked the son, he's like, you know, I have a question for you. You know, did you ever feel like your parents wouldn't notice if you left for a few weeks? Did you ever think that? And he said, you know what? It's it's interesting. Every one of my siblings, we've we've thought we've actually talked about this. When you have 19 
siblings, 18 siblings, you, you maybe could get a complex and think maybe that. But he said, believe it or not, we've all talked about it and we all feel that that's 100% not the case. We feel that if any of us would be gone, we are the most important child and, 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 that, and that's a beautiful thing. Wow. And, and, and that's really a lesson that, that we can understand about God. No, we, we can't understand God's ways, but we sometimes wonder how could it be? Can it really be that God pays attention to me? That every single thing I do or don't do, God pays attention to. And not only does he pay attention to, it actually matters in the grand scheme of things. Like we don't we don't really think that. But when we look at at, at a at a person who's able to have so many children and able to have that love for all of them, it's not like a person has a certain amount of love and they divide it. And, you know, you have one kid, you have all the love and you have 19. No, a person is capable of actually becoming completely effaced. Robert Dessler explains that a person can become completely effaced to the point where they, their self is with everyone else. And you could, uh, and you could, um, and you can actually love everyone you see. And you see that with very great people. They actually do love everyone. And that's uh, one of, that's actually the way we're supposed to be like Hashem, to, to try and, uh, and do that. But, but the, the point I want to bring out is that the self-empowerment, if we can actually wrap our heads around that, and that's one of the messages of Zeke's Parsha, that Hashem really, really does notice, and he really cares, and he really cares, and we do matter. So why was the Torah given in the desert, right? The name of this book in the Torah is Bar. So for some reason, and I don't know, I think the Christians really did it, but uh, it's called the Book of Numbers. But really, it's not much about numbers. It's just in this week's Parsha has numbers, and maybe next week a little bit. But the rest of the portion is about the Jewish travels in the desert. So why do we have the Torah in the desert? Why couldn't we have it by a nice spring? <clears throat> and there's two reasons that are discussed at length. One is that the desert represents something that there's nothing there. Right? I mean, you say, yeah, the place was a desert. It means there's nothing there. In order to truly get the wisdom of Torah, a person has to take their lens and their prejudices and their preconceived notions and their ego and allow the Torah just to come in where there's nothing there in the way. Just let it come in. And if a person does that, that's how they're going to gain. We know if you go to a seminar and you're not open to listening what's being shared, it doesn't mean you have to be brainwashed or accepted, but just to be an open book, and open ears and eyes to, to listen. That's what uh, the desert um, stands for. Another thing that the desert represents is the concept that the, the, uh, the Medrash says that Torah wisdom is like water. Water goes, gravity, water goes down a hill, it goes to the lowest place. A desert is a that represents the concept of being humble. If a person is humble, that is where the, the Torah will find them. And in fact, you know, we know one of the biggest turnoffs, if we thought someone was a nice person or a wise person or a talented person, we get extreme, we know we get extremely turned off 
if the person is full of themselves. Person is a Balgaiva, the haughty person. I know I can't stand when they all the media now you get to see sometimes the personalities of certain sports celebrities. It kills it because you, you have a hard time now now enjoying watching that that person. So if you see someone who's supposed to be wise, but they're not humble, so either there's one or two choices. Either they're not really so wise and their wisdom is just skin deep, or maybe you have a misread. Uh, of their uh, of their um, being uh, being not not humble, but really you really uh, it's very hard hard to get wisdom. Person is not humble. Lastly, one last point. So the Torah does take time to enumerate the the Kohanim and the Levim and. A question which certainly in the 21st century we all are going to ask is, you know, just because, why am I better just because I was born a certain way? Uh, does that make the Levites inherently better than a non-Levite? And it's, it's really not true. And we all know it's not true. Sometimes, if people have different roles or higher, quote-unquote, lower roles, sometimes that is something which is, you know, inappropriate elitism and racism and all those things. But sometimes we all know there is a concept of, of different roles. And different people have to do different things. And, and all those roles are really, really, really important. And in our society, we've trained ourselves that we were actually a self-fulfilling prophecy because what happens is it's a catch-22, we think not certain jobs are less important. So then if someone has that job, they're not as important. There's a famous story with Shomazan Arbach, one of the greatest Torah scholars in the past century. So one time they were, uh, he's a rabbi in a certain neighborhood, and they were supposed to start the services. And the, uh, the street sweeper of the neighborhood wasn't there. And the rabbi said, we got to wait. And finally, the street sweeper came, and they asked him after davening, "Why do we, why do we have to wait for the street sweeper?" And Avisham Zaman Arbach said, "One second, this man is singly devoted to beautifying the streets of Jerusalem. Because I wish I was so sincere and did as good a job that what I'm supposed to do. Now he's supposed to be the world-renowned, you know, rabbi. That's his job." That's what God gave Rabbi Auerbach the intelligence and the wisdom to be. He's got to do that job, and that's an important job. This guy's job, God wants him to be the street sweeper. Now, we think in our mind, well, street sweeper is a low job. But really, uh, if, our, if our egos are in check, really we, our job is to use all our talents and abilities. And that if we do, the, the, the Rambam says, Famously, in Hilkosh Tshuva, every single person can be as great as Moses or as evil as Yeravam, the evil king, because and which because the, the definition of greatness in Judaism is how am, how much am I utilizing my gifts and talents that God has given me, and if I if I maximize those, then I have fulfilled. A, my mission and my role 
in the world. So really to summarize all we've said tonight, it's really a few simple ideas. Everyone matters, details matter, get in touch, understanding um, what about, what you're good at, what you're not good at, valuing other people, realizing how important it is to share things in spirituality. And I think if right now, as you go into Shavuos, we know that the reason why the Jewish people, one of the reasons they had to wait 49 days from the Exodus to get the Torah was because they had to get to a point of complete effacement, complete um, that there was complete unity. That was actually the only time in Jewish history where there was absolute unity. And I think that's one of the things that Hashem is waiting for. And if we have that unity, we'll all have this, get the salvations we need and have a beautiful shruis. And, you know, and, and everyone will, uh, will have a beautiful beginning of the Torah in a safe, enjoyable way.